expectation in who you are, Father God, an expectation that you are getting ready to move and manifest by your Spirit on this earth and on a greater level than has ever been experienced before. And we, we, we say, Father, we are ready, we are hungry, we are expecting, and we want to be the people that are ready to move with you however you want, Father God. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. And we worship you in this place, and we magnify you, and we, we give you all the glory and all the honor in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, you can be seated. We'll do some worship afterwards. Um, what I prayed there, I, I, I believe that. I know many of you believe that. This, this, this God, God is ready to manifest and move and ready. His, he, 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 there's things that God has planned for decades that, that he is, we, we're, we're right there. Do you realize that? How many of you believe we're right there? We are right, we're right there. And some people, some people are just kind of think that, you know, we're waiting for God to do some things. So they kind of getting into kind of casual, passive waiting mode. Sit back and wait and let's wait. And, and you know, when God wants to move, he'll move. Uh, but you know that that's not the attitude that we're told to have in the New Testament. You know, when the Spirit of God starts to stir some things and he starts, God put his Holy Spirit in us for a reason. Do you understand that? He's there. What, 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 what's the Holy Spirit there for? Anyone? Any ideas? Why did, the God, why did God put the Holy Spirit on the inside of us? Mm -hmm. Okay. Teacher. He speaks to us. Amen. He, sp he speaks to us. It's one of, do you know that that's one of the big things he does? He, 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 and it's not always a voice promptings, the witness of the Spirit, how it, however it is. But God put the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. He leads us. He, he teaches us. He guides us. Those are a primary part of his role, aren't they? Now, what, what does God want? What is God? When God begins to say something, when God begins to speak something, uh, what, 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 what is he looking for in us? What kind of response is he looking for in us? Is he looking for us to sit back and, and just do nothing and say, well, Lord God, you know, if you're going to do it, you'll just do it. And, 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 and we're just going to sit here until you do it. And if he, if he begins to deal with and say things like, like, like arise and get up and move and do things, and we just sit down and don't do anything, Why did, he, did he put the Holy Spirit in us just to be silent and say nothing? Or did he put the Holy Spirit in us to begin to show us things and begin to lead us things, begin to say things? Now, when he says things, what are we supposed to do? Respond. What happens if we just sit and ignore and say, well, wouldn't it be lovely if God would, would do some things and the Spirit of God begins to deal with and prompt and say things and, and, and instead of us responding, we just sit down and do nothing and say, well, whenever God's going to move, he'll move. Is that, is that what he's looking for? Do you realize that large, large amounts of the, of the church world do, the, do exactly that? Didn't Jesus say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit of God says to the church or what the Spirit says to the church? And, and, and 
Hebrews 1 talks about the fact that in these last days, God has spoken, spoken to us by his son. He's saying some things, isn't he? When God, what, when, when God speaks, what, what, what's, what's, what do we, what do we, what do we do? I know I'm, I'm getting redundant here, but, but, but there's a point to this. Now, when God, when, when, when God came to Joshua at the start of the book of Joshua, and he, he began to say things like, arise, go into the land. Did that, did that mean that in order for some things to happen, they had to do some things? Or did it just mean they just sit back on, on, on the edge of the land, passively ignoring what God says, and say, well, if God wants to move, he'll move? I don't, everyone was looking at, at, at our lovely couple here, so I'll say that again. Because <laughs> I got zero response from what I just said, because you were all looking at them. <laughs> When God began to deal with Joshua and, and began to say to them, arise, go into the land, did God do that? Did God say to them, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, I've given it to you? Do you know that God also said to them, I've given you the land? Now put those phrases together. God said, I've given you the land. He laid out the land and said, from, from, he gave them the boundaries from here to here, from here to here, from this river, from this mountain range, from this ocean. He laid out the land. He said, it's all yours. I've given it to you. And then in Joshua's time, he said, every bit that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, I've given it to you. Do you know what that means? I've given it all to you, but you only get what you tread on. In other words, was God saying to them, just sit around on the edge of the land, do nothing, and I'll just give it all to you. You don't play a role at all, and it's just going to be a divine move of the Spirit. You know that the generation in the wilderness were used to ignoring God. They were used to disobeying God. When God said things, and when they got into crisis, they didn't respond to the word of God, did they? They just sat in the wilderness, moaned, complained, and they got a divine move of the Spirit anyway. Did they? Does anyone know about that generation in the wilderness? They, they came to the bitter water, the, bit, the, 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 the bitter waters of Marah. I mean, we could go further back. They got to the Red Sea, but after the Red Sea, they came to the bitter waters of Marah. And... Um, what did they do? Did they say, Lord God, you are the God who moves in miracles. I believe you brought us out of Egypt. You just brought us through the Red Sea. I believe you're gonna, you can provide us water. You wouldn't bring us in a wilderness and then leave us with no water. Did they say that? Did they show any confidence in God whatsoever? No, what they did is, oh, we should have died back in Egypt. Or did you bring us into the wilderness to die? No confidence in God. Now, despite them having no confidence in God, did they get a miracle anyway? They got a miracle, didn't they? That was, you could call that a divine move of the Spirit. God did it for them despite them. In other words, it required really nothing from them. 
Now, did, uh, they went a few days later into the wilderness, and then they got no meat. They got no food. And what happened again? Did they say, hey, just a few days ago, God provided us water. I believe he can provide us meat as well. Did they show any confidence in God and in his word? No, they didn't. What did they do? They just began to moan and complain and say, no, no, you know, well, you know, we should have died in the wilderness. Now, is that the kind of people God has always been trying to raise up? Is that what God wants in his church? <laughs> oh, no, is the right way. I'd say, oh, no. Does, in his word, does God show us what kind of people he's looking for? Now, if we just ignore that and say, well, we're not going to be the kind of people he's looking for. We're just going to sit and wait for the spirit to be poured out anyway. Do you think that's going to make God content? I'm trying to make a point here, and hopefully it'll get clearer as I go. In the wilderness, they just got a divine move of the Spirit anyway. God then provided them with bread, and he provided them with meat, and, and, and came through for them. They got miracle after miracle after miracle, but no matter how many moves of God, we could call those divine moves of the Spirit, no matter how many divine moves of the Spirit they got, when they got to the next situation, did they show any confidence that God would move? They kept just thinking, well, you know, it's never, it's never going to happen. Well, oh, we, we just should have died, and God would come through for them, would move by his Spirit. That we could call those divine moves of the Holy Spirit. But you know what? Despite the fact that they had those incredible divine moves of the Holy Spirit, when the dust settled, they were still in the wilderness. Those kinds of moves of God for that entire nation got them through a temporary situation, but never got them into the promised land. Yes, they had miracles. But you know what? They got to the verge of the promised land. And they thought, we're going to do it just like we did it before. We're going to moan about God. We're going to moan about the giants. We're going to talk about how awful and difficult it is. Oh, the giants... That's nothing new. That's exactly what they've been doing in the wilderness. Just not about giants. They moan and be afraid of no water. Moan and be afraid of no bread. Moan and be afraid of whatever new other situation. So they didn't change. But this time, God said, you're not going in. Did there come a point where God told them, you're not going to get it all by just letting me do it all and you do nothing? Do you see what I'm saying here? Was there a point in order to step into the fullness, did it require, was God expecting and requiring some things from them? Now that generation, it's easy for us to go, ah, oh, that generation, they didn't do it right. Well, oh, that generation, well, 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 well. Do you know that the Bible says that's in there for an example for us? And Hebrews 3 and 4 gives us multiple warnings, do not be like them. Now, why would God keep telling us don't be like them if there wasn't a possibility we could be like them? And there's a lot of people around 
that don't want, don't, don't want to respond to the Word of God, but they just want a divine move of the Spirit of God. They want to remain in fear. They don't want to speak out faith. They don't want to be people, Joshua's and Caleb's, because that takes effort. They don't want to believe the Word of God. They don't want to speak the Word of God. They just want to remain in unbelief, complain, moan, and, 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 and whinge about the giants in front of them, the big Goliath, and then when is God going to just show up on the scene? I've got some news for you. It ain't happening like that this time. If you want another wilderness revival, they're great. I mean, seriously, splitting Red Seas, water out of rocks, that was pretty impressive. Do you realize in the history of the church, we've had some pretty impressive moves of God? But many of those moves of God have been despite the people, not, not because of God working with the people who are responding to his word. Do you think God gave us a precedent in the Bible of the children of Israel and then coming all the way to the wilderness? Do you think he gave us that precedent just to ignore it and say, well, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to just take you in anyway as the end time generation? No, he gave us that, that as a precedent. You know what? God's looking for something. Here's the interesting thing. Let's go back to the children of Israel by the, the, the wilderness. They get to the wilderness, they, sorry, they get to the verge of the promised land, and they moan, they complain, the giants. You know what, in their mind, you know what they're thinking? God's going to do it anyway, because he'll just do it by his spirit. He'll just take us in. That's why when God said to them, you're not going in, you're going back into the wilderness, you know what, the next day, you know what happened? They all woke up and said, we're going in now. They just thought God's going to just show up for them in their unbelief anyway. And they charged into the land and they got flattened by the enemy. God said, no, I told you, you ain't going in. Why? This time, I'm not just doing it for you. I have been training you. I have been teaching you. I have been showing you how to work with my spirit, work with my word, respond to my spirit. Now I'm looking for a people who are going to do that i got some news for you. I might be the only person on the planet who says this. I don't know. But I can tell you one thing. A lot, of being, a lot of people have been saying this move of God, this revival that we're on the verge of is going to be different. I'm now telling you right here one of the ways it's going to be different. It's not just going to happen the way they all happened in the past. Some divine move of God where God does it despite the people, despite our unbelief, despite us not responding to his word. This one, he wants it to be done in cooperation with people who are responding to his word in faith. This one will take us on to another level. Why do you think that, as many of you might have heard the prophecy about the move of the word and the spirit? That, the, the whole point of, the, the reason he said it's going to be a move of the word and the spirit Ding dong, this might, you know, suddenly the revelation comes on. A move of the word and the spirit basically means it ain't going to just be a move of the spirit. And if it's going to be a move of the word, that's going to be, happen because people flow with, respond to the word, and do with the word what God has been telling us to do. And a big part of that is faith. Amen. So if we don't respond and don't do that and don't do the bit that God is looking for us to do in our response to his word, 
is he going to just take us in anyway? Uh -uh. <laughs> that's why I've said to a lot of people, I don't want to be the Caleb that's got to wait another 40 years on the rest of you because you wouldn't respond to his word now. Do you know what? It didn't just take Joshua and Caleb. It took the whole lot of them. God was looking for the whole nation to respond in faith to his word, but only two of them would. This is what he's looking for in our generation. You know what? I was thinking about this today. None of what I've just said was, was in my plan anyway. I just got up here and started talking while we were waiting, and that's, that's all right. Amen? But um, I was thinking, I was thinking um, a couple of hours ago about how many of you have heard the scripture which says, where Jesus said, um, when the Son of Man comes to the earth, will he find faith on the earth? Now, if he says, will he find faith on the earth, does that leave you the impression he's looking for it? And I thought to myself, I, you know what Jesus didn't say? When the Son of Man comes to the earth, will he find people who have the Holy Spirit on the inside of them? Which quality is he looking for? People who can just sit back and do nothing and let the Spirit do it all? Well, they don't, or is he looking for people of faith who take the word of God, apply the word of God, and his spirit moves with that situation? Jesus didn't say, I'm not going to find spiritual people on the planet. He, he, he asked, I'm going to find faith on the planet. That's the quality he's looking for in the last days, in the last generation, just before he comes. He's not just looking for his spirit to just pour out this revival while, while we don't respond to his word. That move, that manifestation, that level of the move of the Spirit of God is going to come as we begin to respond to His Word the way He wants. So this is why right now He's bringing His Word forth. He's, he's getting people into these things. You know what? The move of the Spirit is almost the easiest part to do. You know, God's never had a lot of trouble really having a move of the Spirit. You've got a Bible full of them. You know what he's always had a trouble with? Yeah, that. Had trouble with. He's finding people who will respond to his word. It's the biggest, all the way since Adam and Eve. <laughs> Adam and Eve, it wasn't all about a move of the Holy Spirit in the garden. It was all about just obey a simple instruction of my word. Yeah? God's always been looking for that. You know what? The com combination of the Word and the Spirit. What does the Word do? What, 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 or put it this way, what should the Word produce in us? Faith comes by? Hearing. So a move of the Word, if there is a move of the Word, then there should be a move of faith. People who believe God. It took a people who believed God to enter into the promised land. But if we are resistant and don't respond the way the Bible shows us God wants us to respond in that area, is he just going to do it by a move of the Spirit? Do you know what? He, 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 people say, well, you know, this is how he's always done it. Yes, they could have done that in, 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 the, in, in, jo in Joshua's generation, and Moses' generation. They, they could, well, he's always just done it for us. 
He's, he just turned the water into, uh, no, I was going to say turn the water into one. He just <laughs> brought the water out the rock. He just did it for us. He just did it for us. And so there's people who look back at revivals in history and they say, well, it just God just did it. So they think, well, he's just going to do it this time. There comes a point where God says, I'm not just going to do it. I'm now looking for a response to my word. And I'll work with people who work with me in that. Amen? There's a lot of people saying, well, why we keep talking about revival, but it just doesn't seem to be breaking forth right now? Because this is the bit he's waiting for to catch up. Amen? Look at, look, look at, go to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. I'm just going to keep teaching now. <laughs> I don't, nah, it's all right. I don't, I don't mind. I went, did you think it was 7.30? I came here this time and I thought to myself, this time we are going to do the worship first. And I, I made up, because last time I didn't, I made up my mind, we're going to worship first this time and then I'll teach. And then I'm like, <laughs> must have got the time wrong, so that's fine. <laughs> uh, we don't mind, do we? Yeah, that's the wonderful thing. You don't have to always go with a plan. Our plans sometimes just, just hold us back a little bit. Everyone got to, uh, Acts, where did I say, Acts chapter 6? Acts chapter 6. You see, it, it is very true that we stand on the verge of the greatest move of God this planet has ever seen. It is very true that this is, it, is our, it is ready for our generation. And the only comparison that we can really make for this, for this move of God is what I would call a land-entering revival. It's the difference between the children of Israel wandering around in the wilderness and entering in. This is, what God, this is what God is wanting us to do. But that required a people who knew how to possess what God was giving them using their faith in God. And then God worked with that, them. I was thinking, I was thinking a while back, in, in that same passage with the children of Israel in the wilderness and the children of Israel who entered the promised land, it's interesting because both generations had, had the miraculous, didn't they? I've just said, water coming out of a rock, manna laying, I mean, it's incredible. Both generations had the miraculous. But when I look at that, I see two different types of miracles. I see one type of miracle, or we could call move of the spirit, that gets you through the current situation. But afterwards, when the dust settles in a day or time, in a few days' time, everything just looks the same still. That's a wilderness miracle. That's a miracle very often God will do in people's lives just to get you through a crisis. But God doesn't want us, but God doesn't say you, you live from one wilderness miracle to another. He says you live by faith. See, they had miracles in the wilderness, but when the dust settles, they were still in the wilderness. So in other words, those miracles were not really moving them further into what God had for them. It was just sustaining them at their current level. Whereas the miracles that took them into the world, into the promised land, when those walls of Jericho fell, that was a manifestation of the power of God, wasn't it? But that miracle happened for a people who were in faith and believed God. And that miracle took them a step further in. It took them forward in the things of God. So you've got miracles that basically get you through the current crisis, but when it settles down, you're still in the same basic place, and you've got miracles that move you forward. 
possessing further ground. See the different type of miracles. Now, the, the, the miracle that gets you through the current crisis, God sometimes does that for people in unbelief. They'll get them through the current crisis. When the dust settles, most things are about the same. The kind of miracle where you see a city flattened and now you take the ground, Jericho walls fall down, where God does that miracle for a people who are believing God, that kind of miracle takes you forward in the things of God, upper level. And that kind of miracle happens for a people who are in faith. See the difference? You should be in Acts 6. Now you should have time to get there, yeah? Acts chapter 6, let's start in verse 8. And Stephen, Stephen, who was Stephen? Let's pause there for a moment. I've got two words into the verse and we can, we can talk, say something about that. Before we read, read what it tells us about Stephen, who was Stephen? Well, that's verse 8. Jump, actually, jump, jump quickly back to verse 5. Let's find, out, let's find something out about Stephen. Verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. Well, if you read all, I'm not going to do it, but if you read back to chapter 1, they're basically looking for helpers in the church, to people to help the apostles do some things, okay? But this is the point I want to make. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose. So they've been said, choose, you know, a number of people. Is it seven? And, they, and it says they chose Stephen. So here's Stephen again, yeah? Because I want to I answer this question, who's Stephen? They chose Stephen. Now we, I'm preaching on the words and Stephen. Now let, let's add on two more words. A man. Does anyone, everyone see that in their translation? Or something to that effect? They chose Stephen. It said, my translation says, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. But, but I haven't yet got to the faith in the Holy Spirit, but... It just says, Stephen, a man. Now, I'm not fussed about the gender here. But I want you to notice this. Who was Stephen? Who was Stephen? Was he the great apostle? Did he, did he have some significant leadership role in the church? Was he anyone important? This is what I want you to see right now. Who's Stephen? Stephen's you and me. He's just another, another bloke in the church. Except we're going to tell you some things about him in a minute. But see, the enemy's lied to us. The enemy's lied and said, oh, all of that stuff in the book of Acts, it just happened for the apostles. Oh, all of that just happened for, you know, you know certain people. Who's Stephen? He's just another bloke. <laughs> Man, woman, I'm not, it's not about gender. Another person, yeah? Was he, was, is, there any, is there any indication that, that he had some great calling? In, in any of the three chapters that we have about Stephen, is there anything about calling him a prophet, an, 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 an evangelist? Anyone know? I'll give you the answer. You can go check it out in your, other time, in your own time. The answer is no. He preached one message. Well, someone says, well, he's a preacher. I know people who are not preachers who preach one message. 
You can't prove he's a preacher because he preached one message. Who, who is Stephen? Is he one of the foundational doctrinal apostles of the church, laying church doctrine? Was, do, we, do we even know if he was with Jesus when Jesus was on the earth? We have no idea. We don't have his history. Why do you think God put him in the Bible? To disprove all of those people who say this is only for certain people. And you know what? Here's something pretty impressive. How many chapters does Stephen have dedicated to him in the book of Acts? Three chapters. All right. The first 12 chapters of Acts, who would you say the primary figures are? I'm going to ask Tony. Okay, apart from Stephen. Let's leave Stephen to the side for now. The first 12 chapters of Acts, the apostles, would you agree with me, Peter as a prominent figure, and, and at least James and John, or at least Peter and James. Let's say Peter and James for now. Okay? Now, from Acts chapter 13 to Acts 28, who, who, who's it really about? Paul. So we've got 28 chapters of, of the book of Acts, written really about a couple of primary people. Yep. Peter, Peter, James, maybe John, but Peter, James, and Paul. Yep. All of whom we would class as significant major leaders in the foundation of the church. And it's slotted right in the middle of there. God puts three chapters out of 28, not three verses, three chapters about who? Stephen. Sorry, sorry, who? Sorry, who? <laughs> Who's he, who is he anyway? That's a lot of chapters to take out of a book which is about major apostles and major people. And then you've got this guy slotted in there who's a nobody, to be honest with you. Why? Why has God done that? Put, to put a stop to all these doctrines where people say it's just for the apostles. Oh, it was just for that group. Who's Stephen? He's you and me. Stephen is, is when, is, is when jo, is, is Peter's prophecy, sorry, Peter's quote of Joel's prophecy. Yeah. When, 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 what, what, what did Peter say? I'm going to get it right in just a minute. It was Peter. What did Peter say on the day of Pentecost when he quoted Joel? In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on the apostles. On the last days of my spirit, I'll pour out. Sorry, on the, on the last days of my spirit. In the last days, I will pour out of my spirit on a few significant people for the first hundred years of the church, and then nothing else will happen after that. Is that what he said? Oh, that's who Stephen is. Stephen's the guy in there who's your, he's the example of you. <laughs> Why do you think God dedicated three chapters to him? someone with no big title, no big position. Okay, people, well, he's the first martyr. Yes, but the first, the, 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 the lead up to that, which we're going to read in a minute, happened before he was martyred. Acts, the book of Acts is not just a history book. Everything in Acts has a purpose. Why do you think God takes 15 chapters to talk about the Apostle Paul in Acts? It's not just a, a, a record of history. There's a lot of history left out of there. He didn't have to record the first martyr. 
He's not in there because he's the first martyr. He's in there because he's you and me. Amen? Now let's look at this. We were in verse, we were, uh, uh, verse 5. We'll keep reading verse 5. They chose Stephen, a man. No one significant. No great leadership role. He never even wrote a book of the Bible. All the other guys in Acts did. Peter, James, Paul, they all wrote books of the Bible. Where's Stephen's one? <laughs> Who is he? He's you and me. Okay? But what, what are we told about him? Full of faith. Full of faith. There's the word in the spirit right there. What did this man get combined in his life? He was a combination. Of, he, something happened in this guy's life where he flowed in the word and the spirit. Now, you, now you're beginning to see something. Why, might, why God put him in here a little bit more? He's just an ordinary guy. But there, something happened in his life. Did he just rely on the Holy Spirit to do everything for him? A lot of people, well, you know, God heals when it's just up to the Holy Spirit. And, and I don't have a problem with that. I believe in the move of the Holy Spirit. But a lot of people are just dependent upon the Holy Spirit to move. They really have got no concept about the faith side of things. Then you've got the ones who know a lot about faith who have very little concept about the Holy Spirit. This guy's a combination. Okay, now, that was verse 5. Let's go back to the one we started on, which was verse 8. And Stephen, here, what does it say here? Full of? And? In verse 8, and Stephen, remember last time we only got as far as and Stephen. And Stephen, full of? Okay, some of you just read uh, the translation that says grace, and some translations say faith. Well, which is it? <laughs> we go back to the original Greek, it is the pistis, which is the word faith. That grace is not the accurate word that's, tran I don't know why those translations used it, it's not the word that's used there. It is the word faith in the original, okay? And Stephen, full of faith and power. Well, power, there's the spirit again. Do you see that combination? Is this combination important? Are, are we supposed to just wait for the Spirit to move and the power to flow when God decides? Or is God raising up some people of faith who know how to flow with His Spirit and know how to, how to get some things happening? Yes. It's not just about, it's not just, it's not just about one or. Or the other. It's time for a generation to arise who operate in both. And Stephen's in the, God, God's used Stephen a lot with me over the last year. I, I hardly, I mean, I knew he was in there, but I'd hardly studied him before. But the, 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 when I began to think, but okay, I'll, I'll tell you what. Let's, re, let's read the rest of the sentence. And Stephen, full of faith and power, what happened? 
did great. Great, that mega. Megathos, I think it is. Mega. Mega wonders and signs among the people. Does that sound like a few small things happened around him? <laughs> no. Does this sound like a guy with the manifestation of God just happened through his life? Did, did he have to be in a pulpit for it to happen? No. There's no indication he was really a preacher. He's just a guy, person, member of the church. But he had, what did he have? Faith. The two combined in his life. Many people just want the power and the spirit to just flow in their lives, but they don't want to put any attention into being a person of faith. Now, I'm not going to do a, say a lot about faith right now, but, but it's something we need to know a little bit more about. I hinted at it a little bit earlier. You see, our idea of faith and God's idea of faith is often different. Now, if we take our idea of faith and we read the Bible with our idea of what faith is, we're going to get it all muddled up. That's what people have done. What does God in his word tell you faith, faith is like? Sorry? A mustard seed, okay. That's, that's definitely true. There's lots of things, yeah? But let me, let, me, let me give you a couple of things. I know you're trying to think of things. Let me tell you a couple of things that the Bible tells, tells us that faith is like. Is faith sitting in the corner passively doing nothing, leaving it all up to God. How many people think that's what faith is? Too, too many is the answer. What, what did David do when he saw the giant? First of all, he began to say, I'm going to take him down. Did David... Did David... Um, most of, we know the passage of David and Goliath, yeah? Did David arrive at the, at the battle scene? Now, do you realize David wasn't even in the army? So he wasn't technically supposed to really be in the fight. He's just there to deliver some food to his, his brothers from his dad, a care package. And while he's there, Goliath taunts the army and says, whoever comes and fights me, and then blah, 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 whatever the enemy says, you know, I'm not really that. And David hears this. What does David do? Da David's, da how many of you would agree? David says to the people around him, guys, I, I can deal with this. Just give me a few days. I need to go and hear from God and pray first for three days. Why not? Why not? Isn't that, what, isn't that the sensible thing to do? Where did David say, I need to go and just hear from the Lord first before I deal with this? Now, some people say, well, you know, um, Dave, David, I remember he says he fought a lion and a bear first. I've heard people teach that, though, you know, David learned how to win the battles with the small things before he dealt with the Goliath. Anyone ever heard that? I look at that and I think, since when was a lion and a bear a small thing? 
If, if he learned with the small things, that would have been a rabbit and a squirrel. But it wouldn't have sounded as impressive when he stood up in front of Saul and said, I fought a rabbit and a squirrel. This giant will be just like him. Saul would have thought, yeah. You know why Saul unleashed him on Goliath? Because he saw something impressive of a man who took down a lion and a, and a, 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 bear, and a bear and a lion or whatever it was. But why? Why did he take what? What was what drove David? Faith. Where did his faith come from? Where does faith ever come from? Hearing what? The word. How did how did David know when he ran into that that toward that giant that God was going to get involved? You go read Deuteronomy. You go read the, 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 the law. You go and read the scriptures that they had. God told them when an enemy comes up against you, that's what he'll do. He'll give you the victory over them. David didn't have to go and hear from God. He acted on what he knew out of the word and he expected his God to show up. That's faith. But did David sit in the corner and say, come on, guys, let's all pray that God takes the giant down? You know what he did? The Bible says, after talking to Saul, the Bible says he ran at Goliath. He didn't kind of go, maybe he might not notice me. Sneak, sneak around the next bush. He ran straight at him. That is faith, by the way. See, a lot of what we're calling faith, hiding in the corners, passively, afraid of the enemy, but we're in faith. We believe in God. No, you ain't in faith, because that's not how Bible faith acts. Bible faith goes straight at the enemy. With confidence in the Word of God, you're going down. Amen? Bible faith takes the land that God says is yours, doesn't sit in the corner and say, God, we'll sit on the outskirts of the land and just wait for you to give us the land. Bible faith moves in. So when, 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 when Stephen, when it says he was a man of faith, what does that tell you about him? He would have been a fearless person who knew the word of God. Was he afraid of hitting the enemy head on? Was he afraid of looking at a challenge and, and, and say, God will come through. God's moving in that situation. No, he wasn't afraid of that. Now, now, now I want to get to the point I, I, I was trying to get to, to the whole time. <laughs> Acts chapter 6, verse 8. And Stephen, let's read it again. And Stephen, read it with me. What, what does it tell us? What does it tell us? And Stephen, what? Okay, we've talked about faith and power a little bit. There's more to talk about, but let's look at the other word. Read it again. And Stephen, a man, we've done that one in verse 5. We're in verse 8. And Stephen, yeah, did great wonders. We talked about that one. There's still something in there we haven't talked about in, in that verse. And did great signs and wonders. Well, we've talked about the miraculous recently. And Stephen... Read it with me. Read it again. And Stephen? 
Pause, pause. And Stephen? Don't go as far as faith. And Stephen? Full. Full. Why do you think it mentions over and over and over again in this passage, he's full? He's full. He's full. He's full. Do you think that's any connection? The faith and the power and the faith and the, he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of the faith, full of the word. He's full of wisdom. Those are all factors. But actually, every one of those says he was full. Full. This, this, this is important. Do you think those great signs and wonders would have happened if, if, if he was quarter empty? If he was running on quarter? If his tank light, petrol light was flashing red, you need to fill up, you need to fill up. What, what, what do we know about this man? He had faith, he had power, but, but the word I'm just talking about, what do we know about him? He was full. How do you get full? Is that up to God how full you get? What do, what do we, we are told very little about this man, but actually we know a lot about him. What do we know about the kind of man he was before he even appeared in Scripture? How do you get full? How do you get full? Can, can, can we get more full than we are? Do we, do, do we want to be the Stevens? A lot of people, oh, I want to be the Stevens. God, just use me like, like you used Stephen. I don't think it was a coincidence that, that these things happened through Stephen. I don't think this was just divine selection. I think Stephen drove on in out of hunger for the presence of God, for the word of God in his life. He was so hungry for more of God. He got so full of God that God began to manifest through his life and show up and faith built up in his life. How do you get full? How did Joshua end up as a man of faith? He spent time with God. All through Moses' ministry, you'll see, little every now and again, Joshua's name is just thrown in, very, just almost insignificantly to the passage. Moses goes up the mountain. The rest of the, the Israelites are at the bottom of the mountain getting into idolatry. Where's Joshua? Camped halfway up the mountain waiting for Moses. He's actually in the glory cloud. Then a little bit later, when the tabernacle gets set up, it talks about how Moses would go to the tabernacle and meet with God face to face, and then he would go back to the people. And then it says, just tags on this extra phrase, but Joshua basically stayed there permanently. He wouldn't leave that tabernacle. How do you think he ended up the way he did? Was it just God made it happen that way? Was it just divine selection? No. When God wanted the next leader, and he wanted the kind of person who would take them out of the wilderness into the promised land, he looked for a person who, got, who was hungry. Amen? How do you get full? Does it just say he, was, he, does it just say he had faith? And Stephen had faith. Yeah, you see there's a big difference. Full of faith. If you're full of something, is there much room for anything else? When you're full, there's no room for anything else. When you're full, 
Let's read a couple of scriptures here. How do you get full? How do you get full? See, many, many people, many Christians want God to move in revival. They want the Spirit of God. I do. I want the Spirit of God to move in revival. You see, and I've said this before, many, many people are waiting for the revival to happen before they dive in. <laughs> God's looking for the ones who dive in before the revival happens. And they become the vessels he will use in revival. Do you become full by accident? Do you become full by just plodding along casually? <laughs> I don't know about you, but in the natural, when, when you overeat because you went back for a second plate and a third plate, and then you end up really full, how many of you have ever done that? The food's so good, you go back for a second and a third plate. But what does that tell you about someone who goes back for another plate and another plate? They want more. I want more of that stuff. I'm going for another dose. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm, going, I'm going to fill my plate up again. People say, well, how long you got to do that for? Until you're full. But see, you know that the word filled or full in, in Scripture, one of the meanings, and there's a couple of different Greek words, but one of the meanings is crammed full. Crammed full. What's, what's crammed full? <laughs> when you cram something full, you stuff it down and you push it right down. And then you shake it a little bit and then you put more in, yeah? Until it reaches the top. And then what do you do? Do you say, oh, I'm satisfied now. No, no, you push it down some more. You, how many of you have ever tried to put far too much clothes in your suitcase when you're traveling? And you're jumping on the suitcase trying to cram more clothes in. That's crammed full. See, many Christians are satisfied way before that level. They satisfied with a little dose. What's, that, what's God looking for? He's looking for the ones who ain't satisfied until they're crammed full. Crammed full of what? Just the Spirit? You're going to cram full of all of it. I want everything he's got for me. I want word. I want spirit. I want faith. I want power. I want everything. I want wisdom. I want the whole lot of it. I'm so hungry for it. Cram me full of all of it. Let me read Matthew chapter 5. You don't have to turn to all of these. Some of these you'll be familiar. Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Then what does it tell you about the ones who hunger and thirst? They shall. Now, if you, if you, become, if you get filled, that means you end up full, yes? So do you get filled by accident? Does it just happen? Did God just wake up, not that he sleeps, wake up one morning and think, I'm just going to put make Stephen full of everything? Or did Stephen get hungry and thirsty to be filled? Before he ever pitched up in the pages of the Bible. This right here, something we need. Hunger. You know what? A hungry person will keep going until they are fully satisfied with what they hunger for. 
Many people will hunger for a day or two and then they get bored or a week or two. Let me read some others. That was Matthew 5. Luke chapter 6. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. You see the connection? How do you get filled? How do you get filled? I mean, getting filled means you end up full. Yeah, so it's (laughs) filled full. How do you get it? Does God just make it happen? No, it's the hungry ones. It's the hungry ones. That word hunger in that, in that, uh, in that translation, it's got an, a few different meanings, but one of the meanings is to crave ardently, to seek with eager desire. But I like crave. What is a craving? <laughs> What's a craving? Sorry? It won't go away, won't it? and it gets stronger. And the more you try to deny it, it just it gets stronger and stronger. Anyone ever, I mean, great meat, chocolate. Okay. But you know what? The more you try to deny it, it just gets stronger. And stronger. Have you ever noticed that? And you manage to ignore it for a day or two, but then by day three, it's like, I've got to have chocolate no matter what right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I see the smiles. More, more people around here reckon, identify with that one. A, crave, a craving is something strong. Now, most of the time we think about cravings, you know, in biblical terms, we think about the lusts and desires of the flesh. We think about the negative ones. Lust. And, and lust isn't just sexual. Lust has got to do with any intense, strong desire to do something. But actually... God's looking for people who will have that kind of hunger and desire for him and for his word and for his spirit. See, I'm not, I'm not too concerned about the numbers right now. I want the hungry ones. And I, there's this, um, and I don't mean that there's people who couldn't make it tonight and I know they are hungry. It's not, a, you know. But see, I'm not, I'm not that fussed about the number. The, the number the, when revival happens, getting a crowd's easy. But getting a group of people together who are hungry before a revival happens, that's a different matter. The floods come in later when everything moves. But right now, the very phase we're in in a revival is this. God's looking for the hungry ones, the ones who are going to get filled with His Word, with His Spirit, and are going to drive in and get saturated. They're going to seek His face, but not just seek the Spirit and seek prayer. Seek His Word too. The word thirst, the hunger, I told you, is to crave. Thirst, that word thirst, part, it's got different things, to suffer thirst or suffer from thirst. But one of the meanings is to painfully feel want of something. That's not a bad meaning for thirst. It's not just talking about I've got a slightly dry throat, can I have a little sip of water? It's a, it's a strong, intense, I really want this. Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2. This one you'll be familiar with. As the deer. We know this one. We sing the song. As the deer pants. What is it to pant? I need water. I need water. This is a lovely poetical thing, but this isn't just a nice poetry. This is the psalmist crying out, I pant and I hunger and I thirst. For what? 
for you, Lord. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs. So pants my soul for you. I'm quoting, I'm reading one translation, quoting another one. <laughs> but so, so pants my soul for you, O oh God. My soul thirsts for God. This is all over scriptures. Do you think God likes, he's looking for the hungry, thirsty ones. Just a few others. Let me just read these. Just, you don't have to turn. Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. I, I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. Another one, Psalm 143, verse 6. I stretched out my hands to you. My soul longs for you. As a parched land. He's, he likens his soul to a parched land. Longing for what? Longing for water. This illustration is given over and over again. Like the, the, the deer panting for the water. Hungry for it. I need this. I desire this. I'm hungry. I want this in my life. Does that mean just hungry for it for three hours and then we forget about it? No, this is hunger day after day after day after day. What, what, does, what does that kind of hunger do for you? Drives you. Now, if, if the lusts, of, what do the lusts of the flesh do? The lusts, that, that the desire becomes so strong, what tends to normally happen? Unless people are really good at resisting their flesh. They do what the desire says, doesn't it? Yeah. Especially the world. They just quite happily do whatever desire comes their way. We're taught to control. I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't want to go into all of that. But see, if, you, if you've got a desire, people say, oh, I desire God. And then you say to them, well, you know, spend some time doing, oh, I'm, I've, got, I've got things to do. Yeah, I desire God. I'm so hungry for the Lord. And then you tell them, you know, do that. They won't do it. <laughs> I don't want, I'm, I'm not saying that critically, but what does real, intense, driving desire do on the inside of you? It leads you to do that. You eventually do something about it, don't you? It motivates people, drives them. Now, if you've got that kind of strong, intense craving for God, What's that going to do? It's going to drive you to spend time in his presence. It's going to drive you to spend time in his word. Now, let me say this. You need both. A lot of people just pray but never spend time in the word. Or some people just love the word and never spend time in prayer. We've got to have both. Because God wants to raise up a generation full of the word and full of the spirit. Full of faith. And full of power. It's time for that generation. But he's looking for the hungry ones. You realize that one of the enemy's biggest strategies is to short circuit this. 
He distracts you. You know, Jesus talks about, I'm not going to spend time on this, but the, the Matthew, Mark 4, the parable of the sower, where the word of God is sown in people's lives, didn't, it produced in one type, didn't produce in three types of ground. But then the, 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 the three types of ground where the word did not produce, one of the types, it's, it talks about how they got excited about the word, they heard the word, and then it says, when the desires for other things came along. Desires for other things. And suddenly what? The, 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 the desire for the word was not bigger than the desire for other things. So the desire for the word took the second seat, while the desire for the other things took their real attention. What The enemy uses that. And I'm not saying that to condemn. I'm saying we've got to be aware. But you've got to, you've got to come to a place where, you, where, where, where you're willing to push past being dis- pulled aside by the desires for other things. Because there's a call from the Spirit of God calling the hearts, and it's what we call this meeting, to come higher. To come higher. But the ones who are going to come higher and who are going to become so filled and so consumed with God, it's got to start with the hungry. The ones who are not going to let anything stop them. Just how full of God can you get? How full is enough? People say, oh, well, we're filled with the Spirit. We don't need any more. I mean, really, go read the New Testament. Yes, I understand the concept of being filled with the Spirit, but the same Bible which talks about being filled with the Spirit also talks about areas we still need to be filled in. For example, go to, let's, let's, let's go to Ephesians, and then we're going to do some worship. If, if, if it's set up at the right heart, is it all right? Ephesians. Chapter 3. Ph- Ephesians chapter 3. Now, in Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14, we, we have sometimes what pe- uh, uh, basically a record of one, of one of Paul's prayers. In Ephesians 1, he records some things he prays, and Ephesians 3, he records some things that he prays. Yeah? And Ephesians 3, verse 14 says, For this reason I bow my knees. So he's about to start, to, and he, he tells, and bowing your knees is connected to praying, isn't it? And he, he, he lists off what he prays about. Oh, I'm going to pause there in a moment. The Apostle Paul, since we're going to talk about him, might as well add this in. What kind of man was he? What kind of man did God choose to write three quarters of the New Testament? What, what kind of personality did he have? He threw himself in to everything. Full on. When he was, when, even, when he was a, even when he was a Pharisee, he excelled. He, was, he just dr- drove on in. What does that tell you about the kind of person he is? In terms of spiritual things, he's hungry. He's looking for something, isn't he? He's so passionate about Judaism that he started killing Christians. Not recommending that, but that's what he did, yeah? And then he has this encounter with God. Do you think that hunger he's had all of his life, he suddenly lost it when he became a Christian? No, he definitely not. 
How many, how many of you have heard the word taught for, for maybe quite a few years, and you still find these areas of the word that you don't, you know, you don't really have your mind renewed to, and you still haven't got a hold of things, and there's truths God showed you 20 years ago, and you suddenly think, oh, I need to do that truth. Anyone here? I'll put my hand up. I'm like, there's times God reminds me of truths. I'm like, I learned that truth 20 years ago, and I'm still not doing it. And I'm like, my word, I've let it go. Do you know what, Paul, let me tell you something about Paul. Now, okay, he was human and he could forget things as times God had to remind him of things. But you know what? When Paul wrote, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, where do you think he got that besides revelation of the Holy Spirit? But you know what? He did that himself in his own life. When he got saved... Just because he received Jesus in Acts 9, Acts 8, Acts 9, just because he received Jesus in Acts 9 doesn't mean his mind was automatically renewed because he was the great apostle Paul. <laughs> He's been raised in legalism as a strict Pharisee with the thinking of a Pharisee in his mind. So even though he's, he gets a hold of the gospel, he preaches the gospel, do you realize his own thinking still had to change? You go from Acts 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, and, and, and in that period of time, Saul disappears off for a little while. He goes back to his own hometown, Tarsus. We don't quite know exactly how long, but I get the, I, from what I understand from what he said in Galatians, I believe he was in Tarsus quite a while, quite a few years. Disappeared off the scene. What do you think he did while he was in Tarsus? Well, let me tell you about the man who we suddenly see from Acts 13. Acts 13, when he gets released into the ministry to, and sent to be the apostle, he wasn't an apostle before Acts 13. He was, he was still a trainee before Acts 13. Acts 13, he gets released into the fullness of his ministry. There is, how, how much thinking of a Pharisee is still present in his life? How much legalism is there still in his behavior? Zero. Something's changed about this man. In a, in a matter of what's possibly 14 or 15 years, but that you're not talking 20, 30 years, his entire thinking changes. He goes from legalism and salvation by works in the entire way his life was functioned as a, governed as a Pharisee to being completely free from that and understanding salvation by faith without having really a lot of people teaching him. He got it by revelation of the Spirit of God himself. Do you think God just suddenly opened his head up and poured it all on him? No. He got hungry. He did exactly what he did as a Pharisee. He pushed on in and he drove on in. And where, who do you th where do you think he learned that scripture? Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. God gave that to him by revelation, but he did that himself. He pulled down in his own thinking things that were not in line with the word of God. He got his mind renewed. He became transformed. That's why when he wrote it, he's writing out of experience. And he gets released across Europe very much a different man to who he had been 14 years before. Why? Why, why did I throw that in now? Hunger. 
That's a man who's hungry. I don't believe it was a, a coincidence God picked a hungry man for that task of, taking, of writing two-thirds of the New Testament. He was hungry. He, he, I personally believe he went back and he restudied the Old Covenant. And God began to open up to him the, the gospel message. Why do you think in, in places like Galatians he quotes and says, God preached the gospel to Abraham when he said, In you all nations shall be blessed. I believe he went back and he restudied. He dug into the word. He got a hold of the word, and God began to reveal the gospel to him out of the old covenant. And Abraham's faith—he got that by studying and the Spirit of God showing it to him. Do you see what I'm trying to say? But it renewed his mind. But, but, but that's a bit of a sad journey. But 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 I wanted to show you he was hungry. God and, and God was able to use him like that. Now let's read this prayer. There was just a side journey about Paul, but let's look at this. What did he pray? Verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you... Now, this is what he's praying from verse 16. Okay, He bows his knees to the, to, to, to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then verse 16, he tells you what he's praying for. The first thing, that... You see, in, in my Bible, it starts with the word that that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with all might by his spirit in the inner man. That's request number one. Then he says that, this is request number two, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That, this is request, no, this is the third thing he's praying. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. So he's praying some things about love. Notice the fourth one. That you may be filled. Someone read it out of your translation. With all the fullness of God. How full can you get? How full is God wanting us to be? Paul's praying for the, the Ephesian church. We know they were a spirit-filled church. Acts 19 took the Holy Spirit to, to, that, to, the, to Ephesus. And he even says to them, be, be filled with the Spirit or be being filled. But he's praying for this group that they would be filled with the fullness of God. What's that? I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm, I'm, I'm still praying for understanding grass. I've, I believe I've got some things. But the fullness of God? That's not just part of God. That's not God holding back. Yeah. Now, I'm not convinced this is just referring to an individual. Do you realize, I do realize this. God doesn't just want full individuals. He wants a full body. There is, what the, well, there is an individual fullness of the Holy Spirit, and there is a corporate fullness of the Holy Spirit. And, and we are coming to a place where the body of Christ will be full. This, this is part of where we're going into this, what we all, this final great move of God. Let me give you some insight into some things. Do you realize the Bible says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Anyone here the temple of the Holy Spirit? Okay. Now, if you look at that in the way it's written in the New Testament, 
you as an individual are the temple of the Holy Spirit, but the church corporately is also the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's like a dual truth. So he dwells in you, so you're his temple as an individual. But not only does he dwell in you and you're his temple as an individual, the Bible also says you are a brick <laughs> and you are being built together into a house. What, what, what house? The house of God, which is a temple. God's building a temple, a corporate temple. You think it's nice when you've got the Holy Spirit filling you. Wait until He manifests and corporately manifests in the fullness. Now, now you see, if it, people don't realize this. Everything's in the Word. God put the whole plan in the Word. You'd be amazed at how much there is in there. We just haven't seen so much of it. Now, in the Old Covenant, okay, God is currently building His temple. I mean, the corporate temple. Do you realize there's going to be a day he finishes the building project? This isn't going on for eternity where he's still building, 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 and natural life just continues on for another 20,000 years. He has always had in mind the intention he will build and finish the completion of his temple, the church. And what happens... In the Bible, we have a couple of examples. What happened in the Old Covenant when they finished building, first of all, the tabernacle of Moses? Does anyone remember? It's in, in Exodus, you can go read it in your own time. Yeah, they consecrated it, etc. But what, what did God do? They, they, he came to live in it, and, and he filled it with his manifest glory. It didn't happen until the temple was finished. Same thing happened with Solomon's temple. God, they, they built the temple. It took, what was it, seven years or whatever? I think seven years for the temple and 11 years to build his own house. But I think it was seven years to build the temple. But on the day they dedicated it, and they had this big dedication ceremony and all kinds of things, and all kinds of offerings, but on the day, this was now, the temple is now officially ready. It's complete. They dedicated it. What happened? What did God do? He filled it with his manifest glory. The Bible says the priests couldn't even get in the building because the glory of the Lord. Get a vision. Just, just, just picture this. You ain't seen nothing yet, yeah. is what I'm, about, what I'm telling you. Yeah. You think we've seen some good things in revivals in history? Get a vision of the generation we're living in. Get a generation of what God's trying to do in our time. Yeah. When we talk about the end time move of the Spirit of God and the manifestation of the presence of God, why do you think he calls it the glorious church? Yeah. It's connected to the fullness and the manifestation of his glory manifesting in it. God's putting this in front of us. He's trying to show us where we're at and what he's trying to do on the earth. The image that we have always known of as the church for the last 2,000 years has not been this. 
But he's working some things right now where he is instituting some changes to shape things into the way he has always ordained they will be in the end time generation. And you and I get to and have the potential to be the generation that steps into the fullness of the, the, the fullness of God manifesting in his, tab- in his temple. Why do you think he always said the whole earth will be filled with my glory? Where do you think, how do you think the glory is going to fill the whole earth? It's going to fill the whole earth by filling his tabernacle, his temple, which is in the whole earth, which is us. That means no countries left out. When God said, I'm going to fill the whole earth with my glory, he didn't say, I'm going to fill the whole earth with my glory except for the United Kingdom. (laughs) <laughs> he has always intended. Why am I saying all this, guys? Why am I showing you where we're going? Get hungry for it. Yeah. Start to hunger. God we, we, This God is putting this in front of us. He is, he is looking for people who become so hungry for this because when you're hungry, you begin to get full of his word, full of his spirit. Why? What is he trying to do? He's trying to do some things in us. He wants our cooperation with him. He doesn't just want another wilderness miracle. He wants a land-entering revival that where we, he works with a people of faith and a people of the word, and his spirit manifests through that people in the miraculous. But that, that means the day to sit down and just be passive and wait, God, wait for God to do it, that day's over. That was the previous revivals. That was previous things. And yes, I know people prayed and were hungry individuals, but now is the day for the body. God is, God is stirring up hunger. There are things that he wants to do that he's going to unleash and he's going to manifest on this planet, but in order to do it, he's got to get us up to a level. It's not just, it's not just being done apart from us. And that's why the Spirit of God is drawing us higher. Amen? How many of you are hungry for this? I, I am. Is it possible to have a little bit of worship now? Is it possible? I don't know how set up it is because of the confusion. But let's just stand up on our feet anyway.